We are in the book of Genesis chapter 15. When we last considered God's word, we learned of the faith of Abram. We considered Abram's faith first in context. Verse 1 of chapter 15, if you're there. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not fear. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be great. Abram was experiencing great fear that the promises of God would not come to pass. While Abram was in this state of fear and doubt, the Lord graciously came to him, reminding him of the promises that were previously made. We saw that Abram believed the Lord, and we considered three components of true saving faith. They were knowledge, number one. We cannot believe in a God that we do not know. We cannot believe the promises of God that we have not heard. Agreement, number two. Not only must we know what God has said, we must agree that it is true. And third, finally, trust. Uh, We must place all of our hope and dependence upon the one who is behind the promises of God, God himself, right? We then consider the result of Abram's faith, righteousness. Genesis 15, 6, then the Lord believed, then Abram, he believed in the Lord and he, the Lord, reckoned it to him as righteousness. God did not reckon something to Abram that Abram had already possessed. You hear that? That's important. Uh, It is not as though God surveyed the land and then noticed that Abram was righteous. And then therefore God declared, yes, I, I concur you are righteous. Does that make sense? God is not looking at Abram and saying, Abram, you're a pretty good guy. I think you're righteous. The Bible teaches that there is no one who is righteous. No, not one. The only way that one becomes righteous is that they are first made righteous by God. As they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God imputes, credits the righteousness of Christ to the unrighteous. So that we might, by faith, become righteous. Amen. So we concluded last time our sermon with this. Where is your faith? That's what we talked about last time. The the, the very ending of all that we said last night was this. Where is your faith? The question was asked, who are you trusting in this morning? And brothers and sisters, before we move on to the 16th chapter, I believe there are a few more things that we might learn from the 15th chapter. For as I pondered on those last questions, where is your faith? As I begin to think about the question, who are you trusting in this morning? I begin to ask myself, what do people do when faith is hard? What do you do, brother, sister, when your faith is in God? It is in God. But like Abram, you find that finding faith, having faith in God is sometimes difficult. Or even persevering, as we said in our prayer, putting one foot in front of the other and just keeping on keeping on. It's hard. What do you do when pressing on is hard? Because often pressing on is one of the great challenges of our life, is it not? Just keep going. Dear ones, what do you do when faith in God is hard? 
This morning, with God's help, we would like to draw, I would like to draw some some examples from the life of Abram, not not in one specific passage, but in all over the 15th chapter. And consider some of the obstacles to Abram's faith and some of the obstacles to our faith. Then we will conclude our time considering how it was that Abram was able to persevere, to press on, and how we may too learn how to press on. Let's look again at this 15th chapter, Genesis chapter 15 and verse number 1. May we stand for the reading of God's word. We will read the first five verses. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord, O Lord God, what will you give me? Since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given me no offspring, given to, given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you were able to, if you were able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Please be seated. Brothers and sisters, what are some of the obstacles to Abram's faith and what are some of the obstacles to ours? Number one, if you're taking notes, fear and doubt. Fear. And doubt. As we enter the 15th chapter, it is clear Abram and his faith was being tested by God. And through this testing of faith, Abram was beginning to experience, to feel the emotion of fear and doubt. They are, they are emotions. They are feelings. Dear ones, though Abram's faith be a genuine faith, Abram's faith was genuinely being refined through the valley of the shadow of doubt and fear. Abram was now in a grappling match, if you will, with two opponents, doubt and fear. And it appeared as if he was fighting alone. Brothers and sisters, do you know this valley? Do you know the valley that Abram was traveling through? One that is feared, filled with fear and doubt. One in which every turn, every step you take, you are unsure of. Are you familiar with those opponents? Doubt and fear. If you remember, we have said that when we read these chapters, we must not conclude that, that each event is happening the very next day. Abram was called by God out of Ur the Chaldeans when he was 75 years old. Brothers and sisters, 10 years have passed. We are in chapter 15. Uh, chapter 12 was just three chapters ago, but it was also 10 years in Abram's life ago. Over the span of 10 years, God has truly been good to Abram. God has made Abram rich, very rich. God has uh, cursed, uh, caused the name of Abram to be known. Not, not necessarily great just yet, but it is becoming known. God has promised that he would uh, give the land of Canaan to Abram. And, and, and that has yet to come to pass. 
And God has also promised that he would give Abram a child. And that is also yet to come to pass. As far as Abram could see from this side of heaven. And brothers and sisters, that is the only place that we can see from, right? That is our only vantage point from this side of heaven. All that Abram can see was that there was no indication that what God was promising how it could come to pass. Not that it would come to pass, but how could it come to pass? And what is more, it appears as though time is running out. Abram was approaching 85 years old. I will say this. I have one family member that I know of that I recently visited in Stockton about three or four years ago. He's almost 80. He just had a child. Abram, it was the very young woman he was with. It's the Filipino side. Abram was approaching 85, maybe 86. And his wife Sarai was also not getting any younger. The Lord came to Abram in the midst of this grappling match and says in verse 1, Do not fear. Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. He's the Lord. He's the Lord who sees and the Lord who knows. We do not have the first words of Abram here when we come to the 15th chapter. Notice we don't have the words of Abram's heart and mind first in the 15th chapter. What we have first in the 15th chapter are the sovereign words of the Lord God Almighty. And what does he reveal that he sees and knows? He reveals that he sees and knows Abram's heart and Abram's mind. We don't first have the complaining of Abram. We have God saying, I know you are in fear. God was not at all ignorant of Abram's fear. God was not at all in the least ignorant of Abram's doubt. God was not unaware of the grappling match that Abram was entangled in. God's word declares in Psalm 44 that he knows the secrets of the heart. Those things, brothers and sisters, that we foolishly withhold from him. The fears that we wrestle with on a daily basis. He knows them. He sees them. Abram was a true believer who was given true saving faith. And yet he was a man of faith wrestling with his faith. Now, not so much if God would keep his promise, but how God would keep his promise. How would all of this be accomplished? It is possible to be a true believer who has been given true saving faith and at the same time wrestle with feelings of fear and doubt in your life. They are true obstacles. These are true barriers. And they are not uncommon among believers. The feelings of emotion, fear, doubt, they were beginning to envelop Abram, overcome him, overwhelm him. The Lord God has come to Abram and listen, he has commanded him. Not just encouraged him. He has commanded him. Don't fear. It's not a suggestion. Is God suggesting, hey, don't worry. God is commanding Abram, do not fear. And it can be very easy for us to read over and read through and run through Abram's response and only focus on the smoking pot and blazing torch and overlook the warfare going on in the mind and spirit of this man of faith. 
And we can hear it in his response, can't we? Verse 2. God says, commands, don't fear. I am your shield to you. And Abraham's response is, oh, Lord. Your Bible may say, oh, sovereign Lord. What will you give me? Since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And and Abraham was not done with his complaint. Verse 3. Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. The Lord God had come to Abram ten years earlier with a promise. And Abram, listen, completely gave all that he had out of belief to that promise. God made a promise and Abram was all in. Abram completely bought in. He left all that he had. He left all that he known. All that was familiar to him. In faith that what God had promised, God would perform. And yet, he is yet to receive an heir. He is yet to receive the child that God promised ten years ago. The land was promised, that was promised, still belongs to another nation. His name is becoming known, but far from being a great nation. And namely because he has no child. Again, ten years. Ten years. Think about that. And it was with all of these frustrations that Abram questions God. And, and, and Abram essentially asks God, where is it? Why haven't you given it to me yet? Someone may say, how dare he question God? How dare he question God? My friend, it is not a sin to question God. Why? You must first believe something about God. Something true about God in order to question him, right? You must believe that that what God has said is true in order to question him of where it is. Because you've believed. Asking God is no no sign of, of unbelief. True believers ask really difficult questions. But they ask them to the only one who has the answer. Abram believed the promise of God. He is yet to see the promise of God fulfilled. He complains, not, uh, out, he complains out of faith, not out of unbelief. God, this is what you have promised, and I believe it. But the promise is not yet here. God sees all. God knows all. Do we believe that because we question God with our lips, or let's say it this way, do, do we believe that because we have not questioned God with our lips, That he doesn't know our heart and mind. That he doesn't know the questions in our hearts and minds. Just because you didn't say it with your mouth doesn't mean you don't think it in your heart and in your mind. Don't be pretentious. Don't be fake. Why would you hide from him? Why would you hide something from him that he already knows? Even now, as God's word is being spoken into your ears, there are questions, there are thoughts, there are doubts, there are fears. He knows them. To withhold them or withhold them from your mouth is foolish. He knows what you're thinking. And he doesn't say, don't you dare say that. He welcomes it. You are his child. There is not one question my son can't ask me. And I won't faithfully, diligently, and as patiently as I can help him to try to understand. Abram had all of these questions about what he felt were unfulfilled promises. 
Why the delay? You ever ask that? How come? You ever ask that? I believe you, but I don't understand. Abram was wrestling with perseverance. Abram was being assailed by the feelings of fear and doubt. And at this point, he is at a crucial and critical point in his walk with God. Dear ones, what are your fears as you walk with God? What are your doubts right now as you are walking with God? Will this last? Will I last? Can I keep pushing back that sin, that temptation? Will this disease take me out before I'm ready? Whatever it is. What feelings and emotions do you grapple with that make you fear that you won't be able to press on? One of the great challenges that we face in this postmodern modern world is that we are taught to follow our feelings. Don't think, feel. And sadly, many judge things on how they feel. We think with our feelings. Rarely feelings reflect what is true. Just because we feel a certain way doesn't mean that our feelings are always valid. Sometimes our feelings are completely wrong. We are taught by God's, we are taught by the world to listen to our hearts. Follow your hearts, right? There's one big problem with that. The Bible teaches that our hearts are deceitfully wicked and untrustworthy. God's word tells us that we are corrupted by sin and that our desire is only evil all the time. Therefore, our feelings can't be trusted. What are your feelings? What are your fears? What are your doubts? What are the things that you are grappling with? Can I say to you as we move on to our second point that these are all potential obstacles to your faith in God or obstacles to your persevering and pressing on? You may sit here and say, I have none. Good for you. But you are not sitting in a church As a lone ranger. Because you may sit here and say, I have none. But from this vantage point, I'm looking into the eyes of people who say, I have many. And as a member of this church, you are responsible, not just for yourself, but to come alongside them as well. Secondly, an obstacle to our faith, worldly thinking and worldly reasoning. Because of Abram's fear, feelings of fear and doubt, something was beginning to happen to Abram's reasoning. This is in verses 1 through 3. The Lord said, he is Abram's shield. The Lord declares that he is Abram's protector, that he is Abram's great reward, uh, that Abram's reward will also be great. And yet Abram questions and complains, God, reward? Reward? Lord, what will you give me? What could you possibly give me that will will be a reward to me? You know the very thing that I want. You know the very thing that I treasure and you have not yet given it to me. And now it appears as though it's too late. 
The feelings of doubt and fear cause Abram to then try to solve the puzzle of God's providence through human reasoning. How so? What has God promised? God has promised that he would give Abram an offspring. God promised that he would make Abram's descendants as numerous as the dust of the earth. And then in a moment, as numerous as the stars in the sky. And still, it has been 10 years. Abram is childless. And so Abram begins to think, maybe, aha, maybe the promise will come through my servant Eleazar. After all, he is my trusted servant. He, he has been like a son to me. Maybe this is the son that will be the heir that God has spoken of. Maybe this is what God has intended for my life. It is a very foolish thing to try to solve the puzzle of God's providence in your own human reasoning. This is not what Abram wanted, but, but it's the way that Abram began because he was led by his feelings. It was the way that he began to reason. This is the only thing that makes sense to me. And it was common. It was common practice of the world in that day. If a man had no offspring, he would pass on his inheritance to one of his valued servants. It was a common practice. It was the way of the world. It was the way the world reasoned. This was the type of way that Abram reasoned. Though Abram was a great man of faith, we often find that when his faith is tested, he reasoned, he resorted to reasoning like the world. Every time his faith is tested, not every time, oftentimes when his faith is tested, he uh, reverts to, resorts to reasoning like the world, like the world that he had come from. And not the world that he professed he was now a part of. He asked his wife, lie for me. Say that you're my sister so that it will go well with you and with me. He didn't guard her. And now he reasons that Eleazar will be his heir. In the next chapter, he will, uh, he will join together with his wife. They will conspire together impregnating a servant girl because they just could not wait on the promise of God to be fulfilled. And he's not done lying. He'll say again, say that you're my sister. Time and time again, when Abram's faith was weak, he abandons God's word and he reasons like the world. Brothers and sisters, what about you? What about you? When your faith is assailed, when your faith is assaulted, do you cling to the everlasting word of God as the anchor for your soul? Or do you abandon God's word and say, I will figure this out on my own. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. How often does figuring it out on your own work well? Turn out well for you. Thirdly, let's move quickly. Difficulty. Third point. Difficulty. The difficulty of accepting God's promises on God's terms. Difficulty accepting God's promises 
on God's terms. I'd like to read this part for you. Uh, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 13. <clears throat> 15, 13. God said to Abram, here's the promise and clarification of his promise. Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years, 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And afterward, they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Meaning what? When God comes and confirms his his covenant with Abram, he gives Abram more insight into the promise. And Abram learns uh, more details about the promised covenant of God, specifically the land and his descendants. The land and his descendants. Meaning what? God is giving Abram insight into when the promise of the land will be fulfilled. Abram was reassured, you will have a seed. But this promise of a great nation, the promise of having a land, that's not going to come true, listen, till long after you're dead. God has called Abram out of the land of Ur the Chaldeans. I will give you a land. I will make you a nation. Then God later tells him, but it won't be till almost 500 years later. There is great potential there for Abram to be greatly disappointed. Imagine someone saying, an inheritance is yours. Woohoo, right? When's it mine? It will be to your grandchildren and their grandchildren. While you live the rest of your days in a tent. The promises of God won't fully be realized for another 500 years. God promised that Abram's descendants also would be enslaved. Your descendants, you will have the many descendants. And they will be slaves to another nation for 400 years. Imagine hearing all of this. Brothers and sisters. This is the promise of God. This is the good and great promise of God. When God called Abram from Ur of the Chaldeans, God said that he would give him the land, make, give him a seed, make him into a great nation. Never said anything about slavery. But the details of God are progressively being revealed. The Lord God said, no, for certain, your, your, your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not their own. And enslaved there for 400 years. We just ask you very frankly, who wants that promise? Who wants that? Abram's told the road ahead will be very difficult, Abram. Who wants to go? Anybody? Uh, you ever seen the, those uh, shows? Uh, it's truck drivers who are who are. Riding their big, gigantic, massive trucks through the mountains in the Andes. And they are riding on five foot roads, if you will. Three foot roads. Who wants to walk? Who wants to drive? Anybody want to be a passenger? Where all you can see is the bottom. God does not work on our terms. 
and according to our likes and according to our dislikes. God works on his terms. God determines the road that we must walk and we must walk it. And he's promised that this walk of faith will be a difficult one. Jesus said it is a narrow road. Jesus promised it is full of persecution. They persecuted me. They will persecute you. Jesus promised they will hate you. They they, they hated him. They will hate you. Jesus displayed that you will experience betrayal. And that through all of the suffering, only God alone determines when you've had enough. Not you. Brothers and sisters, who wants to go? Who wants to walk that narrow path? Who wants those promises? And it is a great potential obstacle, isn't it? Because we want what we want. That's why we come when we want to come. Regardless of how we feel. I feel good today. I'm going to come. Quickly moving on. Why do you think prosperity, false prosperity preaching, and the latest trend of relationship-centered preaching is so popular? Why do you think? Just think about it for a moment. Why do you think, if someone would just say, well, why are there so many thousands of people gathering in these uh, big, gigantic churches and and filling these arenas, uh, filling basketball stadiums to hear that preaching when you've got maybe a hundred, less than a hundred seats in here and, and less of those seats are filled in here. Why are there so many people there and not here? Because the things they preach are catering to the things that people most naturally desire. We most naturally desire to be healthy. Right? We want to tell sickness to go away and it goes away. We would rather not stock up on NyQuil. We want to be wealthy. We would love if there were no bills. And if anything somebody wanted, we could take care of it. And we all want to be well-liked. We would love for people to think well of us, to think good of us. But can I say to you that God has promised none of those things. Even our more noble desires, even our more noble wants. We want all of our family, all of our children to be saved. God hasn't promised that. God has not promised that. We want all of our family to be close, to be loving toward one another. God hasn't promised that either. You're going to have siblings who just don't like each other. Because they're all sinners. We want to have great retirement and security. God hasn't promised that either. We want a perfect spouse. God really hasn't promised that. I'm speaking on my wife's behalf. (laughs) But listen, when my wife and I were wrestling with infertility for the past almost four years, we had to wrestle with the fact that God hasn't promised to give us a kid. He hasn't promised that. And if it is God's will for us to have a child, we can do the things that are only on our part. 
We can change our diet. We can go to the doctors who are also been given by God to help us in certain areas. But if we don't have a child, then it is not God's will. And we won't stick our finger at God and say, why not? He never promised that. This can be an obstacle to our faith. God works on his timetable, on his promises, and not ours. It is God's will and not our own. This is a great test of perseverance. It is a great test of pressing on. Will we press on though the road become difficult? Or will we fold and turn back? Will we trust God that God works all things together? All things, every single instance, every single moment, every single circumstance that God works, even though I can't see it from this side of heaven, God works all things together for good and for his glory. Or will we seek our own comforts, our own pleasures in this temporal world? At this point in Genesis, in the narrative, we are witnessing a true believer, Abram who is finding difficulty in pressing on. I don't see the promise of God. I am fearful of how it will be accomplished. I would be lying if I didn't confess that right now my faith is weak. I'm wrestling with pressing on. I am wrestling with persevering. And I believe all of those statements are statements that we have all at some point or another been familiar with as true believers of God. When our faith in God is hard and when we find it difficult to press on and persevere. Can I say to you, brother and sister, if you've said any of those things, you're filled with you're sitting in a room surrounded by others who have also said those things. And we are sitting here together this morning saying, and yet we press on. And yet we press on and yet we persevere. So then what? What's the solution to all of the obstacles and barriers to our faith? Number one, starting a new set of ones and twos and threes. Number one, the word of God. Now that doesn't sound fancy, does it? That doesn't sound spectacular, does it? But it is the only certain rule of faith and obedience. It is the only reliable thing in this world. God's word. When, when Abram's faith was being assaulted and assailed, the Lord God graciously came to his weak and weary child and both shields him from the fiery darts of fear and doubt and also corrects him in his wrong thinking. Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. The word of the Lord comes to Abram and declares he is his protector. Abram, the child of God, was being bombarded. If you can think of, of bombs just falling down on him. Bombarded by fear and doubt. And the Lord God stands, as it were, as a shield to guard him from those attacks. You can imagine all of these bombs falling. Just falling. And the Lord God comes and shields him from every single one of those falling attacks. Abram was wrestling with fear. And though it may have uh, appeared as Abram was as though Abram was fighting alone, the word of the Lord comes to Abram and reminds him, you are not alone. You do not fight this battle without an ally. The Lord himself was fighting for not only with, but for Abram. God's word came as a way of distributing grace to his weak and weary child, reminding him of what he already knew. 
but what he needed to be reminded of. That's important when you come each Lord's Day. Don't come and say, I never knew that. I didn't, I never knew that. You know these things. But what a great and gracious gift it is from God to come after you've been sojourning through this world, wrestling against the world, the flesh and the devil, to come and be reminded of things you know, but need to be reminded of again and again and again. Abram, you are not alone. Brother, sister, you are not alone. Hear this word from God. God himself shields you as his own. If you're wrestling with fear, if you're wrestling with doubt, if you feel that you are fighting this battle alone, hear the word of the Lord, John 16, In this world, you will have tribulation. But he does not stop there, does he? He's not stopped there, does he? But take courage. I have overcome the world. The Lord did not say you will have trouble and I hope it all works out for you. Rather, the Lord tells his children, you will have trouble. And he commands us, take courage, take courage. He has overcome the world. The battle is the Lord's. He has not left our side. The verse that we all know, the verse that you used to quote as you were a Catholic Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And why? Why, David? Because he knew God's word. For you are with me. In Hebrews 13, the Lord has promised to be a faithful friend, one who will never leave us. Abram was reminded from the word of the Lord that he does not fight this battle alone. God has promised to be with us, to stand with us, to protect us, to never leave our side. And brothers and sisters, God has also given us the church. That the Christian life, as we walk through the difficulties, that we might be encouraged and strengthened by our fellow believers who are also walking through the same valley as you. In John Bunyan's classic, The Christian of the Pilgrim's Progress, we find Christian, who is the the protagonist, the good guy, Throughout the story, he's in the valley of the shadow of death. Darkness is so great that he can barely see his feet. Voices of enemies are all around him. And he begins to fear that maybe he's blasphemed God. Maybe that's why I'm in this valley. But then something happens as he is traveling through this valley. He begins to hear Another man in the valley. And as that other man is walking through the valley, he begins to hear what this man is saying. This man is actually quoting the 23rd Psalm. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And as Christian hears this man who is also walking through the valley, quoting God's word, trusting in God as he is also passing through the valley. Christian is encouraged. Christian is strengthened. Christian finds the strength through hearing the other man speak God's word to press on. Brothers and sisters, we need the church. We need to be around others who are also likewise trusting in God, who are also likewise persevering through the valley of the shadow of death, holding on to God's unchanging hand. I need to hear you sing. I need to see you here. I need to see your smiles in spite of the valley that you are right now walking through. Because I see you walking through it. I know I can walk through it. I see you persevering. I know I can persevere. 
And we are not here for ourselves. Don't underestimate the help that is available for you in the local church. From elders and members, not just elders. We often, too often, we keep our struggles to ourselves. We don't let anybody in. We build these walls, refusing to let anyone in because of past hurts or because someone might find out I'm actually human. God has not designed the church to be that way. We are here to hear your struggles. You can hear mine. I'm not here to say, I got none. I'm good. Everything's great. We are here to express our struggles, express our fears, our doubts, our fears, and find support in the midst of them. Dear one, may I encourage you, if someone comes to you with a a struggle, don't shrug them off. Because it will create in them a lack of trust in the members of Christ's body. And may I say to you who always complain, learn how to be strong. Keep pressing on. We have a community of believers who are wrestling with the same struggles. And none of you are wrestling with something that no one has ever wrestled with before. You will not say something to someone and someone's like, what? I've never heard that in my life. Ever. No. Do you have fears? Are you wrestling with doubt? So do I. And so are others who are around you. We want to be an encouragement. We need to be. We are commanded to be an encouragement to the believers in the local church. And the word of the Lord not only reminded Abram that he was not in the battle alone. The word of the Lord also corrected Abram's wrong thinking about the word of the Lord. Abram said, the word of the Lord came to Abram and said, this man will not be your heir. Abram said, Abram reasoned, because you've given me no child, here's how it's going to work out. And God said, no, that's not what I said. This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. Is God telling him something new? I already told you this, he said. God has not forgotten what he's promised, and God has not promised something less than what will take place. Here's what what I said. Here's what will take place. Don't try to figure me out. I said what I said, and I mean what I said. God comes and corrects Abram's wrong feelings, wrong reasoning, not with new promises, but with reminders of what he has already said. God not forgotten what he said. God has not forgotten what he said. The Lord reminded Abram of what he said. The Lord reminded Abram of the gospel. A seed would come through Abram. And through that one, all the nations will be blessed. Abram, fix your eyes on Christ. It was as if his eyes were reoriented. And the fears and doubts that he had would begin to fade. As his focus was reoriented on Christ. And when that happened, it conquered how he felt. How do we know that? Verse 6. And he believed the Lord. He was reoriented. He heard the word of the Lord. It corrected his thinking. And the feelings that he had disappeared. You're right. I believe you, Lord. All of the promises are good. Of God are good. And they are what is best for us. This is why we must receive an education on what God has promised. 
Did you hear that? You must, we, we must receive an education of what God has promised. That's why we must come and sit under God's preached word and not make uh, what we want, what God has promised. But we must come under what God has promised and believe that. Our, our desires must be conformed to God's word. God's word doesn't conform to our desires. We must therefore be bathed in God's word. Abram's faith was strengthened by the promises of God. He believed God. He amended the promise of God. Martin Luther, a man well acquainted with bouts of doubt and fear, wrote, For feelings come and feelings go. For feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. Nothing else is worth believing. Brothers and sisters, God's word is the only thing worth believing. Again, it is the only certain rule of faith and obedience. Number two. Another uh, not spectacular point, pray. How do we fight, overcome the obstacles of fear and doubt, uh, the obstacles of our faith? Pray. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse 2 and 3, Abram was crying out to God. He was making that which was in his heart and mind known to God. He was complaining, but he was also praying. He was crying out to God. Like the man in Mark chapter 9 who said to the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. As we have said before, to complain to God is not a sin. To confess that we are weak. To confess that our faith has been shaken. It's not a surprise to God. To pray these things, though, and bring them to God, that takes faith. If you're going through a struggle and you don't pray, who are you really trusting in? We are coming to the only one who has the solution for our dilemma. Lord, I believe. I do. That's why I'm coming to you. Please strengthen me in my faith. Help me to grow immovable, unshakable in this place. Teach me to follow you. Teach me to press on to endure when times are hard. Uh, Teach me to see you with me. Help me to know your promises and to believe them as I walk along this narrow path. Are any of you weak? Pray. Are you any of you doubting? Are you finding yourself right now walking through the valley? Pray without ceasing. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Brothers and sisters, faith is about God. God is the object and source of our faith. Growing in faith, it's not an existential act of believing. Growing in faith has nothing to do with special tricks about uh, making you have bigger faith or believing harder. If you struggle and don't pray, it's no wonder why you struggle. Prayer is the natural reaction of faith. It's a natural expression of faith. Those who have faith will pray. Hear God's word and pray. This is the response of Abram. He has heard the word of the Lord 
It's been difficult for him to believe. And he's expressed those difficulties. He's not hidden them. He's asked God to help him with his unbelief. And we must do the same. Third, another not spectacular. One that will make you almost sigh in, in the fact that it's not so spectacular. Obey. God's word. Pray. Obey. If you want to grow in your faith, obey God. Obey God's word. How do you do that? You enter the world that God has created for you. What does that mean? God has called you out of darkness and into his light. He has given you his word as a means of grace that is also helping you to see what he has commanded for you in your life. This is what the world is doing. Here's what God is calling you to do. You are in his world. When we obey God's word, we display that we are in a different kingdom, that we are of another world. We display that we've been brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. If we live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church, it's no surprise that we wrestle with our faith. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. You can't sit on the fence. If you do, it's no surprise that you struggle. If you do, it's no surprise your faith is weak. It's impossible to serve two masters. I've learned that most often people who neglect the gathering of the saints don't neglect the gathering of the saints because something is wrong with the church. Because something's wrong with them. They are wrestling with their faith. And often it's because they are unsuccessfully living in two different worlds. Kids who are sitting here this morning. You can't live in a world in which your best friends who are unbelievers are your everything. And yet you come to church Sunday after Sunday unmoved, uncaring about the things of God and play the game. Why do I say that? Look at me real real quick, kids. Because I played the game till I was 19. And tell you what, it was no fun. It was hard trying to play good boy for mommy and daddy. And then go out into the world and be bad boy Antonio or Anthony at the time. No wonder I was struggling with what, who I was and what I believed. You can't live in both worlds. You will eventually be challenged to pick one. Who are you? What do you believe? And little ones, I don't just speak to you. I speak to you older ones. When you live in wholehearted obedience, not perfect obedience, Christ has won our perfect obedience. But when you live in wholehearted, by faith, failing, but yet trusting in the grace of God each time you fail, it becomes easier to persevere. As you obey God's word, you know trouble will come. And you know that God and Christ in his word is an anchor for your soul that will dig deeper each time you face adversity. But when you live with one foot in and one foot out, it's no, it's no wonder why your foundation is cracked. Amen. We say we really love God, but we also have a great affection for the world. 
So then when trouble comes, you try to find comfort in both. How does that work? It's no wonder why faith is weak. You completely committed your life to one or you completely commit your life to one or the other. As believers, we live in the world that God has intended for us. And we live in accordance to God's word. Let me say this again. Not to be justified. Does that make sense? Meaning you don't obey God's word. And depending on how well you obey it, that will determine whether or not you are justified before God. No, sir. That's not the gospel. You are justified first by faith in Christ alone, grace alone, in Christ alone, all of that. And as you've been brought out of that world, you now have been called to live in obedience to God's word. And it separates you from who you were to who you now are. You are being conformed to the image of Christ as you obey his word. We must strive to live in obedience to God's word. We would all like to grow in grace, would we not? To become more obedient to God's word. If we want to grow in grace without obedience, we don't know what we're asking for. If we want to grow in faith, obey God's word. If we want to grow in grace, hear God's word and the promises over and over and over again. If the world is speaking lies, we must be filling our minds with the promises of God. We need to be where the promises of God are spoken. Even when you don't feel like coming. Even when you feel like it's doing nothing for me. See what the word I'm using? Even when you feel like what you're being taught is boring. I'm going to say it again. Even when you feel like it's over your head. Even when you feel like you have no friends. Even when you feel like you were too busy. What am I saying over and over again? Oh, we just learned that those are dependable. It's only God's word that is dependable, not your feelings. And you don't come to hear a stand-up comedian. You don't come to hear the voice of a motivational speaker or a life coach. And you don't come to be somehow hypnotized into being better. You don't also come first to gain friends. You don't come uh, to, to worship if it fits into your schedule. You come to hear the very word of God spoken each Lord's day through God's chosen mouthpiece. You come to hear Christ. And when you hear Christ week after week, you hear the doing and dying of Christ. And when you do, you do not tune out, but you tune in. You draw closer. And my friend, you will be reminded of the very gospel that will keep you persevering throughout the rest of the week. Just when you were growing weary. Just when you were about to quit. The Sabbath comes. And you are reminded of the rest that has been provided for you in Christ. The rest that Christ has entered and that one day we too will enter. As Brother Bobby said this morning in our narrow road, you are experiencing in this day heaven on earth. Just a taste of it. But until that day, keep preaching. Keep hearing. Keep looking back to the cross. Keep presently rejoicing at redemption accomplished and applied. Keep pointing me forward toward our glorification in Christ Jesus. And don't stop doing it, preacher. Don't stop doing it. Though it's not drawing crowds, don't stop doing it. Though it's not the most popular, don't stop doing it. 
Though, though we may not even build our own building one day because of all the money that may come in from people faithfully giving. Don't stop preaching that. I need that. I need to be reminded of that every single day and every single Lord's day. And when I do, I did so with fellow believers, with my brother and sister in Christ, who I will be looking at not only now, but for eternity. We may not have the same likes and dislikes, but our faith in Christ is the same, which means I am closer to you than I am my own brother who doesn't believe. I don't got to like you. We need to stop, and hopefully, we're not, and I know none of us do this here. Don't make only those you like the ones that you will love in this church. Love every single person. We are baptized in the same name, bought with the same blood, loved by the same bridegroom. We stand together in Christ. And all of these are a gift from God. All of these are a gift of God. And you've had enough? I've had enough. That was great. Sunday morning, that's all I needed. No. What do you mean you've had enough? Will you ever have enough of heaven? Will you say, hey, Lord, that was fun. Hey, it's been about 20 years. I think I'm ready now. Or will you never want that to end? Then come tonight. Come tonight. Join us in prayer. Join us in our fellowship meals. Join us as we go through the doctrine of Christology. It doesn't end. Go home and take a nap. Get some rest. Real rest. Stop filling your uh, 12 to 5 with all sorts of events. Go home and rest. Ponder on the things that you have heard. Rejoice in the gospel that was preached. Get some rest that you can be uh, uh, mentally awake and aware for more of gospel preaching when you come in the evening. And don't sleep in. Set your alarm. Set your alarm for 4 o'clock. 4.15. Get up and get back to worship. Nothing flashy, huh? Only biblical. No secrets. Obey. Pray. Hear. Be with the people of God. These are the these are the things that tear down those barriers to your faith. What am I speaking of? Speaking of the means of grace. God ordains that this is the way we grow in understanding. This is the means of grace that he's provided for the church. The word of God as it is faithfully preached prayer, baptism, the Lord's Supper. All of these things are provided for us as we gather as the local church. This is the God ordained mean uh, ordained means through which. God delivers grace to his people as a primary, primary means to which we grow in grace. If we could have it our way, and many of us would like to, we would rather that we grow in grace watching our favorite uh, football game. Our favorite team. I, don't you wish that that's the way you grew in grace? Oh, watching McGregor get beat up last night. Don't you wish that was the way that you grew in grace? Or maybe being actively involved in, in what kind of sport you love. That's the way I grow in grace. Eating out your favorite restaurant. That's the way I grow in grace. Take a nap. My favorite pastime. Uh, that's the way I grow in grace. But that's not what, how God has ordained it. God has ordained his word, prayer, baptism, the Lord's supper, 
and the gathering of a local church and all the things that we do in that gathering as the way that we grow in Christ and the way that we combat the barriers or the things that are obstacles to our faith. Many are excellent at at beginning the race. They run swift, their confidence is high, but very few finish with that same vigor to the very end. This may be why the book of Hebrews after reading of all the heroes of faith, encourages us to run with perseverance. Will you press on? Brother and sister, will you, after years of walking with God, after years of enduring test after test, will you yet be found with strength in your knees and wind in your lungs to press on toward the goal, the upward calling of the Lord Jesus Christ? I pray you do. Will you echo the words of that uh, greatly tested and greatly assailed man, Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. After seeing years of nothing, trusting when you are following his word, left and right being deserted, brother and sister, it takes a quality of strength to press on. A real work of God, the Holy Spirit, to preserve his own. I encourage you this morning. With every fiber of my being. Not at the top of my my voice, but from the bottom of my heart. Press on. Press on. Persevere. God is with you. Let us pray.